What's up, everyone? You're listening to the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. The gang's finally all back together here for this edition. Trevor Booth, first off, we're going to go to you. How you doing, man? I'm doing great, Mason. It feels good to be here. I know, thinking back, just what, eight months ago, Chris and I were in a car ride out to Las Vegas for the Pac-12 tournament when everything kind of hit. And now it's just surreal being in this moment now. We're getting ready for a football season, so I'm looking forward to it. ASU going on the road to play USC this Saturday. It's finally game week. Jacob, how are we feeling about that? I'm good, Mason. It's uh, it's exciting to be back, and I'm, I'm excited to be able to kind of, you know, get into the groove a little bit, even though we don't get to have all of the in-person activities that we as Sun Devil Source would normally do. But it's good to be able to work with everybody and start doing podcasts and, and getting into that season flow again. Most definitely. I know Chris and I have been grinding away on some of the podcasts recently, but uh, it's nice to have the gang all, all together. Chris, how are you feeling just, just getting our, our boys Trevor and Jacob back on the pod? It feels like the band's back together, man. Like we're, we're doing what we should be doing. Um, this is cool. I'm excited, really like interested in actually covering a football season, being able to watch football. Uh that matters to our coverage and um, you know, Trevor and I are headed out to USC on Friday. So we'll see if uh, nothing cataclysmic happens uh, when we get back on the road this time, Trevor. Right. I think it's, it's kind of a full circle situation where Trevor mentions you guys are on the road for the PAC 12 tournament. And now you guys are the first ones on the road for the ASU's first game of the season against USC. And we've obviously been covering preseason camp as it's been happening, albeit in a different format, just being virtual, not being able to attend these practice sessions in person makes it a little more difficult to kind of project and, and for, for Chris and us to get our, normal evaluations going but when you look at it Chris I'm going to start with you first just how how much tougher really has it been to kind of know what to expect from this ASU team yeah normally I just go watch the practices and mostly am able to formulate an opinion you do you do it for a lot of years you get really strong indicators of what to expect from a team and uh, this year was pretty unsettling because you, that's not how you can actually figure things out. You have to like ask coaches and players and try to squeeze as much as you can in, informationally out of them about what's going on and how they're feeling in both on the record and off the record types of conversations. And then you know, maybe you're looking at a little bit of you know whatever video that they put out, scrounging for some morsels of information. It's a lot tougher. Um, I think we we do know a lot more about like their defensive players, so I think I, it feels a little bit more solid in that respect. But the offense, so many new pieces, new new coordinator. Uh, you know, Jane Daniels is the same. Frank Darby's the same. But other than that, it's so different, and so it, it makes for a lot more uncertainty. I would say. Right. And that's a, a really important point you make in the beginning there, just having to rely on what coaches are saying more so than your own takeaways and evaluations. Definitely a lot different this year. But guys, we've got a checklist of talking points we're going to get to today. Going to kind of breeze through them. Everyone's going to give their thoughts. Trevor, you're kind of first up in my rotation. So I'll pose the first question to you. What do we not know enough about? And how does it make setting expectations for this team difficult? 
Yeah, I think for me, based on what we saw in the spring, it's the running back battle. And we saw that Demonte Trainum was getting a majority of the first team reps in, but that was more so also because Daniel Nagata was dealing with the sam with the hamstring soreness. And now Rashad White is in the picture and we haven't gotten to see him in reps yet. And like Chris was saying, we can base our opinions and what we're writing based off um, what coaches are telling us, um, but we haven't been able to see it live yet. And then we have other guys come in the picture like Andre Johnson, who's improved. Anthony Cooper is another guy um, coaches have been mentioning. So we actually haven't get to, gotten to see how these guys have improved. And that's another thing that would normally be incorporated into our reporting. Most definitely. Jacob? Yeah, I feel like this could be a little bit of a cheap shot answer, but I would say that how well have these two offenses and defenses assimilated to their new schemes? This is two sides of the ball. Both of them have new schemes that they have to, to adapt to ahead of the season. And we have not been able to see for ourselves whether or not they are, you know, transitioning into them well. And so we can hear about it. We can ask the questions. And like Chris said, and like Trevor said, that's obviously helpful to a degree, but but not being able to see that in both regards is definitely a huge challenge, especially with both sides of the ball moving into a new scheme. So I'd say that that's definitely the biggest thing for me. Chris, I'm curious about your answer here just because you've been doing this for so long and been probably attending more in-person practices than anyone who's covered ASU in the last 15 years. So in your estimation, uh, with this year's team in mind, what's been the kind of biggest thing for you in that regard? Well, I just tend to really pay attention to the line play on both sides of the ball. I think you, uh, if you have pretty good coaching, you know, you're, there's going to be times when you have busts in key situations that can determine games and turnovers determine games. But really, the thing that you can kind of bank on is if you have good offensive and defensive line play and you're not uh, – messed up in any other sort of ways, then your team's going to be pretty good. And we don't really know. You got two new uh, grad transfer starters on the offensive line, and you have Ben Scott starting. That's three guys. And plus, Kate Cody's not played that much, right? So now you're taking about four guys that are new and haven't really done that much. I really don't know how what to expect there. And uh, with their defensive transition to a 4-3, which is part of the scheme stuff, what's that going to look like with their end positions? The depth chart that came out with USC, uh, to me, with Amiri Johnson looking questionable for that game, listed as third team, Michael Matus uh, ahead of Tyler Johnson, that creates a lot of question marks about where they're at from a defensive end position. I think their tackles are more solid and kind of knowable. But uh, beyond the scheme stuff, I think it's that line play on both sides. And it is difficult to kind of set these expectations and, and project how ASU is going to look, especially in this first game with so much unknown from no in-person attendance. But I think for me, it's it's heightened by the fact that they have so many freshmen who are potentially poised to play decent sized roles this season. And when you kind of look at Zach Hill's offense, rotating guys in shifts and motions and, and the way that LV Bunkley Shelton, Johnny Wilson, all the running backs, it's just a lot of new faces and not being able to see any of them in person makes it tougher for our ability to set realistic expectations. But Trevor, moving on to our, our next kind of category here, I want to know 
ASU's three biggest strengths as you project them as a team this year and why? Yeah, and we've talked about it a couple times throughout preseason camp. Uh, for me, the biggest strength is the secondary. Um, we have, they, they obviously have Jack Jones and Chase Lucas at corner, and they're expecting a lot out of those guys. And in conversations with them, they've talked about setting the goal to go top 15 in the NFL draft next year. Um, so they're expecting a lot. Safety has great depth. Um, DeAndre Pierce was challenging for a starting role at safety behind Ashari Crosswell. It looks like Crosswell is going to get the start based on the depth chart, but they continue to have great depth there. The linebacker core, obviously, they have two team captains, uh, Kyle Soley and Darian Butler, and we've heard a lot about how Merlin Robertson has sort of transformed his body. Um, coaches have said that he's back around 239, which is closer to what he was during his freshman year. Um, and then quarterback play. Um, coaches are expecting a lot out of Jaden Daniels. A lot of people are. He has that potential to get national recognition. Um, and if he can uh, assimilate himself within Zach Hill's scheme and really take advantage of how it's tailored to him, it's going to continue to be probably good progress in his career. Yeah, Trevor, and I, I would say that your points about the secondary were the exact same things that I was going to say as to why it's the biggest strength of this team. The, the veteran presence and the depth of that area is so great on ASU's roster. You know, you have, you mentioned it, Chase Lucas, Jack Jones, Ashari Crosswell, Evan Fields is another guy who's back in the fold for ASU. DeAndre Pierce was a huge addition. And we've also heard some good things about the younger players in the unit. T. Lee was a guy that Antonio Pierce has talked about putting together a really good effort in terms of what he's been doing in practices. Jordan Clark is making a big leap in terms of what he's going to be able to do, looking like he's going to be ASU's starting nickel corner in their 4-2-5 sub packages. Uh, I would say that quarterback is ASU's second biggest strength. Jaden Daniels put together a record-breaking performance in his freshman season. He's back again for his sophomore year. So I would say that Jaden Daniels and the quarterback you know, position is definitely ASU's second biggest strength. And then third, I would say is the linebackers. Trevor mentioned it again. It, it just with the veteran presence, the leadership in that group with two captains in the linebacker room, I think that that is my top three strengths. I'm going to go with number one, Jane Daniels. I think when you have a very good quarterback, which ASU has, capable of being an all-conference player as a sophomore, that's the most important position on the field. Also, that's number one strength. Number two, I agree that really it should be the secondary when you have in Evan Fields, Ashari Crosswell, Jack Jones, and Chase Lucas, uh, the most overall sort of experience probably of anywhere on the roster across four positions. And um, just what they have put forth as their expectations for themselves uh, and the capability that they've demonstrated at times. It hasn't always been consistent against good opponents, but even against good opponents, they have played very well at times. So uh, the number three is actually, I'm going to say, uh, ASU's coaching. Uh, I look at the uh, Marvin Lewis. He has to be one of the better coordinators that you could possibly have in the Pac-12. Uh, I think that Zach Hill is upgrading ASU's scheme and will better utilize their talent and present more uh, opportunities for mistakes with defenses and ASU's uh, special teams should again be really good. I think Sean Slocum has kind of taken a bad rap and has done quite a good job. And um, you know Herm Edwards just kind of knowing where he's at with his defense, what to expect with that group, being uh, well situated now going into his third year and understanding opponents better in the conference. I think ASU's coaching has to be considered to be 
one of the stronger assets that the team has right now. I'll echo uh, several points. Secondary, probably the most uh, number one strength right now in terms of depth and and what some some of these guys have already mentioned, followed by quarterback. I mean, they do have Trenton Borgett backing Jaden Daniels up. So having a walk-on as your second option, not the best situation, but he's he's shown the ability to perform at a high enough level. And then third strength, I'm going to go the interior of the defensive line, uh, nose tackles, DJ Davidson, TJ Pesafea. That's a nice one-two punch, in my opinion, uh, from a depth standpoint. And then three technique tackles with Jermaine Lole moving inside. Um, he, he th- He's done well enough on the outside, and I think the scheme change really benefits him, as well as Stefan Wright and Omar Norman Lott, who they bring in. So conversely, guys, and Trevor, I'm going to throw it to you first. What would you say are the three, uh, the team's three biggest weaknesses projecting? Right. And Chris mentioned it earlier in this podcast. I think there's a lot of questions specifically at defensive end. And that's one of the things we don't get to see in practice right now and how that's kind of developing. Um, on the depth chart this week, we saw Michael Matus got the edge at one of the positions over Tyler Johnson. That was probably one of the biggest surprises of the depth chart. And then we'll have to see how it kind of fills in elsewhere. Shannon Foreman is going to be the starter at the other position. And then you have Stanley Lambert behind him, who is transitioning from linebacker, put on some weight in the off season, but we'll have to see how things are going to progress there. I think second is going to be offensive line and it's going to have some questions. They do have the grad transfers, but it is going to be four new starters on the offensive line. Ladarius Henderson is going to be the top backup. How is that group going to mesh together? There's obviously a lot of expectations for Donovan West and what he's going to continue to do, but how's everyone going to mold behind him? And then I'd say tight end, you know, it's going to be implemented a lot more under Zach Hill's scheme. We know that, but I think it's going to be interesting to see how these guys develop. There's only one touchdown caught between the entire position group last year. And we've heard a lot about how Curtis Hodges has increased his weight is a receiving threat. And Nolan Matthews has sort of had that, that do it all kind of um, role potentially, but we're going to see how, have to see how that group develops and how, they assimilate within Zach Hell's scheme. Yeah, I, Trevor, I think I think you nailed it. The, that was kind of the list I was going to give, and I, I was going to go in, in basically the exact same order. I think defensive ends is is probably the top weakness on my list. ASU moved Jermaine Lowe and Stefan Wright from end to three technique tackle, like Mason just mentioned. Now the program is listing Shannon Foreman and Michael Matus as its starting ends, and you know, like the other guys have said, is ASU going to be able to generate a pass rush from the edge this year? I think that's my biggest question or weakness. Uh, second for me is, is offensive line. The unit is made up of guys who have never played together before. Donovan West is the only projected starter who played more than three games for ASU last year. Kellen Deesh for ASU left tackle. He's never made a start in his college career before. This is his fifth year as a, in college. So will he be able to you know, pick up the slack at left tackle? And then you know ASU also lost four seniors who were either starters or, or top reserves from its offensive line last year. So replacing that depth, I think, is going to be a challenge for ASU. And we obviously not being able to watch the offensive line, that's a big question, and I think it's a weakness. And lastly, like Trevor said, tight ends. It's a huge role increase, or at least it's expected to be, based on what we've seen from Zach Hill's offense when he ran it at Boise State, to what it could be with ASU. Does he have the personnel to be able to use those tight ends the way he wants to? I think we're going to find out quickly. But until we do know, I think that it's a weakness for ASU. You guys did a great job there. I, I wholeheartedly agree with the three. I think that the way that you uh, articulated the challenges is was perfect. Uh, I think with it's you know it's not just pass rush with the defensive ends. It's edge setting, being able to anchor, being able to uh, keep guys you know 
uh, from from breaking losing contain. Uh, it's the ability to uh, you know just hold up against the run, and then offensive line. It's also establishing the run. It's 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 giving your team that balance that a Herm Edwards offense wants to have where if you run the ball successfully between the tackles, that makes your play action capability that much more potent. And that enables Jane Daniels really to be as successful as he can be. So, and then the tight ends, I think that's, you know, it's been long been a question remains a question. Let's see how that goes. Right. And to not really be repetitive, mine would be the same thing. I will, kind of mentioned the the usc game is interesting because chris and you've mentioned this before the potential and likelihood that asu drops a defensive lineman um and with amir johnson being questionable i mean we'll we'll see how how the depth shakes out at that position group but again offensive line tight ends pretty obvious question marks right now i'd also mention just offensive youth overall uh is, is a question mark because we saw it with the defense in 2018 they played super young it's going to be the offense this year and herm edwards has had a tendency to play the young guy if he's equal or or better obviously than some older guys and and we're going to see that play out this season just in terms of how how much new, newness asu has offensively on its roster now trevor moving on here we're going to get into a, a category of naming at least one player on each side of the ball who who was on the team last year so not a new guy on the team last year and will play a more significant role this season how and why yeah and i think there's a lot of people you could point out within the wide receiver position if you're looking at the offense as a whole but for me one guy who i think is going to step up is ricky pearsall and he had some moments last year there were a couple nice catches i think he had one in the cal game and then just throughout this offseason he's been one of the guys that we've talked to who has seemed to be really headsy and just really buying in to Zach Hill's scheme and learning the intricacies of it. And we've seen he's going to be one of the main guys in the slot this weekend, according to the depth chart. And he's also a guy that can move to the outside. And he put on about 15 pounds from last year. So I think he's one of the guys that's going to step out in that receiver room. Um, over the defense, there's a couple guys, but we've heard from Robert Rodriguez about TJ Pesafea. Um, he was sort of out of high school, kind of a late bloomer physically. And now that he's been in the strength and conditioning program for ASU, he's listed at 300 pounds, which is a little bit lighter than he was last year. And I think this scheme change is really going to benefit him with how he can be aggressive at that nose tackle position behind DJ Davidson um, at the start. Uh, and then Jordan Clark is going to have a bigger role, obviously, as the nickel cornerback. He's another guy who put on about 10 pounds from last year uh, and has been really credited with his coaches with his improvement and how he really attacked the red shirt situation. So those are the guys I would say are in line for some improving this year. Yeah, I, I think Trevor, you started with Ricky Pierce. I'll start with a wide receiver too. And, and, and to me, it's the most obvious one. That's Frank Darby. Uh, Frank Darby is going to have to, you know, really pick up what, from in a different role than he left off in last year. Last year, he was this home run threat, deep ball guy. And he's good at that. And we've written about that on the site before that that is absolutely his biggest strength. But now he has to take over the number one wide receiver role for ASU. The Sun Devils lost Brandon Ayuk to the NFL draft last year. And now Frank Darby is picking up this X role for ASU where he's going to have to become a significantly more versatile wide receiver. And we've written about that as well, where he feels as though he's capable and always has been capable of being that number one wide receiver who is versatile. But he'll actually have to prove that. So his role is going to be significantly more important. Also on the offensive side, uh, Cade Cody. 
Cade Cody was supposed to be ASU's starting center last year. Dave Christensen, ASU's offensive line coach, named him the starting center, and then he broke his foot for ASU's opening contest of the season in 2019 against Kent State. Now he's back for his sixth season of eligibility, and he is, again, the starting center. So a healthy Cade Cody is expected to lead ASU's offensive line from the center, making the calls and being ASU's most experienced guy, which is also a big deal for an offensive line that we don't know why the chemistry is. And, and actually just speaking to Cade Cody yesterday, he said that his biggest role this year, in addition to everything that comes physically with a starting center role, is being able to make sure that he runs a cohesive offensive line unit with a bunch of newcomers. Those are my top two guys. You guys, again, really good job. I think Darby does have to step up. Pearsall is a, is a returner who should play a much bigger role this year. Kay Cody, I'm hyper-focused on the job that he's able to do at that all-important center position. I think we should also throw in the tight ends, Curtis Hodges and Nolan Matthews uh, on that side of the ball. They, those guys are going to need to really elevate their play. And even Case Hatch, really, it's a collective sort of a thing with that group. Uh, on the defensive side, Kyle Soley is going to be playing a much bigger role this year. Uh, Amiri Johnson has to, at some point, uh, become a solid mid-level Pac-12 player. I think he showed flashes of that late in the year. Um, so he's, you know, he's, he's very important. Tyler Johnson. I mean, this is maybe his last season. We'll see, but he has the potential to be an NFL player, but you got to actually show it on the field. And, uh, we're going to see that Jordan Clark probably in that nickel role, uh, be, be a very important, uh, player, especially against these air raid type teams like a USC right out of the gate. Right, I was going to highlight tight ends as well on the offense. Uh, Nolan Matthews, Trevor mentioned it earlier, the only tight end to catch a touchdown pass all of last season for the for the whole group. It was Nolan Matthews. It was against UCLA. Also in that UCLA go game, though, he was prone to some false start issues, uh, being a true freshman playing in a lot of games. He he showed some some immaturity at times last season just with those missteps and and penalties. Uh, so he's, he's someone who I'm looking to at – potentially carving out a, an even bigger role than last year and, and stepping up more defensively sleeper kind of pick. Cause some of the, the main guys who I project would step up are kind of taken a, and in the name of not being repetitive, uh, but Connor Soley uh, transitioning from Tillman safety to, to linebacker this season, uh, gotten rave reviews from coaches uh, this this camp and and has told Sun Devil Source he kind of feels like linebacker is a, a good fit for him. And he's backing up Merlin Robertson on the depth chart, uh, better better fit overall, beating out like the guys like Jordan Jordan Banks, Caleb McCullough uh, on the edge. So those are kind of my two guys who return and will will likely have more increased roles this season. Now, Trevor, I'm, I'm throwing it back to you. Where we've talked about some of the returning guys, but which newcomers – in your opinion, are going to have the biggest impact on both sides of the ball this season. Yeah, and we haven't seen him on the practice field yet, but based on what we've heard, it seems like Rashad White is going to be a big addition um, late in the recruiting cycle. Uh, we'll get to see him in action um, this Saturday against USC. I think he's going to play a big role from that running back room, not even just from what his performance is going to be, but likely as a leader, being an older player who's gone down the junior college route, has some experience that he can share um, with Nagata and Trey and him in that room. Uh, and then with the wide receivers, I think Johnny Wilson and LV Bunkley Shelton, we outlined them in the story earlier in preseason camp. Those guys seem to be a great fit for what Zach Hill is trying to implement. Johnny Wilson's obviously big at 6'7 um, and 225 he's listed at. 
if he's going to, he can play on that outside and in condensed formations, sort of closer to the line, he's going to be a versatile target. And then LV Bunkley Shelton, um, we've talked to him too, just about his refined route running. And I think he's going to be a big addition in the slot and a guy who can uh, implement himself right away. Yeah. And I think for me, one of the biggest additions is going to be Kyle Horn who transferred to ASU from Massachusetts, the tight end. Uh, he, he, last year, he started all 11 of his appearances at Massachusetts, 15 catches for 197 yards and a team leading three touchdowns. And, you know, like we have talked about already on this podcast, the tight end group for ASU is going to most likely see a significantly increased role from what they were asked to do last year under Rob Likens. This is an offense that utilizes tight ends uh, a lot. And they were on the field, I believe, you know, it, it was more than 60% of the time total last year in Boise State's offense had at least one tight end on the field. And so right now, this is kind of a, a thing for, for the tight end group to really have to step up. And Kyle Horn, like Chris has talked about before, uh, you know, this is a guy who is, is much more of a, a, a full purpose tight end. He's been able to showcase his blocking and his ability to run routes at Massachusetts. And I think is a guy who can really step up for ASU. Uh, my second guy, Trevor, you mentioned him is Rashad White. Uh, I'll mention some of his background. Trevor, you kind of covered what he's brought to the table for ASU. Came from Mount San Antonio College in Southern California, where he rushed for 1,264 yards and 10 touchdowns in 11 games last year. Uh, he lost two fumbles. This is a guy who was listed alongside Diamante Trainum as ASU's number one running back going into USC on the depth chart. So that's a guy who I think is uh, potentially a big deal. And then the last guy for me is DeAndre Pierce, the son of ASU's defensive coordinator, Antonio Pierce. He transferred from Boise State, uh, competed with the Shari Crosswell, like Trevor, you said earlier, for a starting role in ASU's defense. And I think those are my biggest uh, three guys, newcomers. Yeah, defensively, I agree. DeAndre Pierce is clearly the, the most likely newcomer to make an impact. I don't think there will be that, that many, um, almost none. You can maybe say Omar Norman Lott, potentially, if he really gets it going. He has the ability from a pass rush standpoint. On offense, I think you guys nailed all of the, the, the key guys. It's the LV Bunkley Shelton, to me, is, is he may have the biggest impact of them all uh, just because you need an, another guy to balance out Frank Darby, and, and he could be a high-volume guy. Johnny Wilson, the big red zone target. I could see him being a, a weapon uh, in scoring position. and. Uh, that Kyle Horn, I agree. He was uh, he had some COVID contact tracing, kept him off the practice field for a while. That may impact where he's at on the depth chart right now, but I could definitely see him climbing up. And I look to uh, immediate impact grad transfers. So you mentioned DeAndre Pierce, Jacob, and Chris, and and I agree. He's already pushed Cam Phillips down to third string safety on the depth chart uh, that was released by ASU for the USC game. And, and Phillips was a starter during his red shirt freshman season. And, and even at times during his true freshman season, but offensively, it's the same, it's the same kind type of thing. Kellen Deesh and Henry Haddis on the offensive line without those two guys. I mean, you're starting a Ralph Frias as a Spencer Lavelle potentially. So getting those two guys to come in, and and be immediate starters for your offensive line that yes again is still a question mark the chemistry concerns are there but i mean dish was at texas a&m competing against those guys in practices every day although he didn't start in games and then henry had played for stanford so he's played in the pac-12 has starting experience in the conference so those are are 
some guys who are going to be instrumental in what ASU hopes to do this season. And it starts with USC, obviously, on Saturday. Now, Trevor, I want to uh, kind of key in on, on the position group that you have mentioned a couple times this podcast. And you, you mentioned Rashad White as kind of a, a newcomer who's going to stand out. But who will lead the team in carries and rushing yards this season as we zero in on the running back room? And, and what will those stats be in terms of both carries and rushing yards? Yeah, so sorry to disappoint you guys and the rest of the podcast. I know last year I came out with the crazy equation to try to accurately get, you know, Benjamin's rushing yards and carries, but I don't have that this year. The algorithm, Trevor, the the algorithm. algorithm. There you go. That's the word for it. That's the word I was looking for. Um, But back to it, I I think Rashad White will lead the team um, in in carries and rushing yards. I'm going to say 463 rushing yards given just the the abbreviated season that's going to occur. Um, It seems like that he's been the guy when, when he got there, he got first team reps and practices right away. Um, it looks like he's going to be the guy right away to get a bulk of the carries based on the jet tart we've seen. Things could change throughout the rest of the season, but I would say Rashad White. Uh, I, I also come bearing no algorithm, but I would agree with you, Trevor, that Rashad White is going to lead ASU in, in total carries and yards. I, I'd say around 100 carries for Rashad White, especially considering that he will likely end up you know, doing a near split with Diamante Trainum based on just what we've heard and what ASU listed on its depth chart with him being the and or number one running back. So uh, I would say around 100 rushes with 521 yards for Rashad White. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's going to be very close, actually, between Rashad White and Diamante Trainum running back by committee. My guess is maybe he has 70-something carries for 400 and something yards. Yeah, I think we all kind of share the opinion that White's going to kind of be the main focal point. However, and before I get into my stats, I do think Trainum's going to be the guy you see in the red zone, and he'll probably end up with more touchdowns as kind of a punisher uh, guy who they who they employ down there, and that'll probably result in more scores. But and Trevor mentions a really important point uh, just with the abbreviated seasons going to impact the, 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 the totals for reference, you know, Benjamin had 300 carries in 2018 when he rushed for a program record, 1,642 yards. But I do think white's going to, going to lead that group with, with around hundred carries and, and I'll go above 500 yards for the season. I'll go 520. So that's how we're, we're looking for the running back room in terms of, of the stat leaders. Now, Trevor, I'm going to, going to shift over to wide receiver. We've talked about the shifts and motions with Zach Hill's offense all season, talked about Frank Darby, talked about so many different elements with this position group, but who at the end of the day is going to lead the team in receptions and receiving yards, and how many is it going to be in both categories in this seven-game season six as it currently stands on the schedule? For me, it's not going to be any surprise. I think it's going to be Frank Darby. You know, He's outlined big goals for himself just to be the third straight ASU receiver to be taken in the first round of the NFL draft. We're going to have to see how that plays out. He's going to have to prove himself um, in terms of intermediate, intermediate routes. Um, and Coach Prentice Gill has talked to us just about what he's trying to refine with Frank Darby and how he's moving over to the X receiver this year. There are some adjustments within that for him. But I think prediction-wise, I'm going to say he catches 37 balls for 535 receiving yards. Yeah, I think it's it's tough to agree with that one for all the reasons that, that Trevor outlined. I think that Frank Darby is in a position to, you know, get the bulk of ASU's uh, yardage through the air. 
Uh, I'll say he finishes around 30-ish receptions, and I think he actually cracks the 600 yards receiving mark this season. So that, that's my prediction. Okay, I'm going to go with Frank Darby with the most receiving yards on the team with 540 receiving yards. And I think he will also have the team lead in, in touchdown receptions. But I think LV Bunkley Shelton, this is my biggest surprise of the podcast, is going to have the most receptions on ASU's team. I think he's going to beat Darby by only a few receptions maybe somewhere on the order of 45 catches. Whoa. Dang, that's bold right there. I'm I'm going to stick to my to my gut on this one go Frank Darby, not go go bold on anything. It's going to be around 40 43 catches and I'll go around 580 yards for Frank Darby leading the team in both categories. Now we're Hang on a second. Defense. I'm going to go say go I'm going to say sorry. I'm going to say I'm going to say 40 catches for LV Bunkley Shelton, 38 catches for Frank Darby. Well, there you go. I think I'm, I think I'll probably put Bunkley Shelton in like the high 20s, low 30s. That's probably where I would go on that. But we're going to move to defense and we're going to we're we're talking about tackles. So Trevor, team leader in tackles, sacks and tackles for loss. Go. Yeah, um, and we'll have to see because we haven't gotten on the practice field, but I think this is going to be a bounce back year for Merlin Robertson. I think he's going to lead the team in tackles. Um, in terms of sacks and tackles for loss, I think this year is going to be really huge for Jermaine Lole moving inside to three technique. It's going to be really beneficial, I think, for him to go a lot more downhill at that position to go against some interior linemen. So I'm going to say he's going to lead the team in sacks and tackles for loss also. I'll stay in the linebacker room for my tackles prediction. Darian Butler has had the most total tackles among anybody on ASU's roster over the last two years combined. So it's hard to argue with those numbers. I think that Darian Butler leads the team again for in total tackles. He did it last year. Uh, in terms of sacks and tackles for lost, I was going to go with Tyler Johnson, but he listed as ASU's number one end for the USC game. And I think that every game is really going to make a huge difference in such a short season. So I'll go with Jermaine Lole as well in both categories. I'm also going with Lole for sacks and tackles for loss. Uh, I'm really struggling with who's going to have the most tackles between the three linebackers, Robertson, Butler, and Soli. I think that Soli is going to make it closer than would be expected, just given the type of role that he's going to have. Um, but I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Robertson though. No deviations for me. Darian Butler and tackles, Jermaine Lole and sacks and tackles for loss, just given all the reasons everyone else has already said. We're gonna kind of shift a little bit in terms of all conference potential when you look at the the roster, the makeup, the the depth, all of it. Trevor, I know we've kind of talked about this in terms of ASU not really having a defensive all-conference honoree in some time. But who are, in your opinion, ASU's best candidates, both offensively and defensively, for all-conference honors this season? Right, and I'll start with the offense. I think if things come to fruition with how ASU is just designing itself with its offense and everything that's implementing, I think Jaden Daniels is a big guy, obviously, to potentially get that all-conference nomination. Um, Frank Darby, uh, again, ASU with Nikhil Harry and Brandon Ayuk has had back-to-back -back years um, in which it had first-team all-conference receivers. We'll have to see if that'll come to fruition for Frank Darby, but I think he's certainly in line for that. 
And I do believe that there is a chance for ASU to break that streak, Mason, that you were talking about with not having a defensive player on the all-conference list. I, I think for me, the most likely is Jack Jones. He led the team in interceptions last year and passes defended. He was obviously the number two recruit at his position coming out of high school. And now that he's been in the ASU program, he strengthened himself. I think he has a chance to show up and, and do his thing um, in his senior season if he plays to his potential. And then we'll see about um, Ashari Crosswell as a second guy. He led the team in interceptions during his freshman year with four, had some a little bit of some breakdowns last year. Um, but if he, if he can really come into his own and adapt well to this 4-3 scheme, which is going to be more what he'd play like potentially in the NFL as a future pro, um, potential prospect there, it could be a big year for him too. Yeah, start, starting out with the offense, I think that Jaden Daniels is, is the most obvious selection behind that. I think Frank Darby uh, has a good shot. I think Rashad White could sneak into the conversation. I think that we've heard good things, and I think that if he can really put it together in Zach Hill's offense, I think he's a candidate. And the last guy for me is Donovan West. He was ASU's best offensive line performer last season, and I think there's nothing to suggest that he won't be that again. He's added roughly 15 pounds. He's a bigger, stronger guy. One of the things that he needed to be better at was just being more physical and the added weight should allow him to do that. So I think Donovan West is a candidate uh, defensively for the reasons that we've already talked about throughout the podcast or Trevor just mentioned. Jermaine Lole is a guy for me who I think is a candidate. Jack Jones, Chase Lucas, Merlin Robertson and Darian Butler. Those are my guys. Yeah, totally agree. Again, I think you guys are doing a really good job laying this out. Jaden Daniels, Donovan West, most likely on offense, Frank Darby, is right there as well. Uh, defensively, it's um, you, you have several candidates: Lole, Robertson, Butler, Jack Jones. I would say even Evan Fields and Chase Lucas. They all have a chance. And then your specialists, uh, Turk should definitely uh, be All Conference, and Zendejas has a very good chance as well. We'll see if anyone makes as big an impact as Case Hatch did on special teams last season as he was obviously a first-team all-conference for special teams. But no real changes again uh, in agreement with you guys on offensively, defensively. Jaden Daniels obviously was the the conference's honorable mention offensive freshman of the year last year. Uh, Kedon Slovis of USC won that award, and, and they're going to face off this Saturday. And then just a point I want to make, I think LV Bunkley-Shelton, and if Chris has him with as many catches and, and production as he, as he does, then there's potential that he can win offensive freshman of the year in the conference as well. So that's, that's something to look for uh, as well as we kind of project these, these conference awards. And as we look at the, the, as we kind of wrap things up, guys, I, I'll, again, ASU USC on Saturday, early morning game. We've kind of harped on that uh, ASU practices early in the morning though, but 4:45 AM, uh, pre-game meal. I don't know if you guys would be uh, be able to handle that, but record predictions for ASU this season, six already scheduled games. Uh, so so give me your record predictions. I'll start with you, Trevor. Yeah, I think when we did this, this article and this prediction, I think about a month ago, I put five and one. I'm going to go down a little bit to four and two. I, I think that just the margin of error for this season is so slim with the games that you have and, and having USC right out the gate, that's going to be so big for ASU. And especially in the sense that they're not set on certain positions and competition battles that they've outlined. They've said that they've got the guys for now, but Herm Edwards has talked about that it could change maybe even up to week three of the season. 
So I think with that um, potential change and then just having that margin for error being so small, I think they're going to finish four and two and we'll say they will not win the Pac-12 South. Uh, I, I, in that article that Trevor just referenced, I said five and one, and I will proudly stick with it. I think that ASU will lose one game. I think it's to USC, which we will get into more on our USC preview, uh, premium preview podcast. Uh, but I think that ASU is in a good spot to potentially win the Pac-12 South. I think that this is a team that, yes, has a new offense, like Trevor said. Yes, it has a new defense. But I want to point out, Trevor, that Utah has a defense that is almost entirely made up of new people. It last year had a fantastic defense that ASU was completely incapable of handling. And now it's a whole bunch of guys that ASU's never seen on their defense before. So there's a lot of change in the Pac-12, USC, new defensive scheme. Uh, I think five and one is is my number, and I'm staying there. You do that. You stay there. Uh, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say four and two. I I think the the minimum expectation ASU fans should have is four and two. The Colorado and Arizona are barely hanging on in the Pac-12 South right now. Like they don't look good. Those should be wins when you get Utah. Cal, UCLA at home, you should win at least two of those games, right? So that means that ASU should probably get four wins right there. And then you have USC, which uh, to me, I think the game favors USC a little bit, not nearly as much as that 11-point line indicates. I'm going to probably pick USC to win that game by about a field goal, three or four points. Um, that's how I get to four and two, but I do think that five and one is an entirely – plausible record the also uh it's also very uh possible that even if asu loses to usc it could win the other five games like that's another scenario that gets you to five five and one so um three and three would be a enormously disappointing season for asu and um six and oh is extremely unlikely but there have been occasions in which asu's won six pac 12 games in a row 2013, I believe, may be the last time that happened. Um, it's rare in the South, not unprecedented. Uh, most important thing to, to highlight again is if ASU beats USC, ASU's clearly in the driver's seat. And looking forward to getting into that game on our next podcast. Sorry to steal your thunder on that, Mason. Yeah, I was going to say, we're going to have our uh, USC-specific premium podcast. Jacob kind of stole the thunder a little bit, too. But we're going to have that USC-specific premium podcast published later in the week, obviously before Saturday's game, so you guys can get in on that, subscribe, and and get even more insight and, and detailed info. Also, get in the Devil's Sanctuary for all of, of Chris's analysis. But I think I, be- I believe I said 5-1 and one in that article that Trevor and Jacob have mentioned as well, but I think I might come down to 4-2 and two as well. I think ASU is a team that traditionally has played up to competition and down to competition. See UCLA last season, Colorado last season, Oregon State last season. So it's tough to bank on them. Well, obviously winning six conference games in a row, but but even winning five, despite how favorable the schedule appears, it's tough for me to have a, a ton of confidence, especially with all the, the moving parts, new schemes, new coordinators, and, and new faces on the roster. But that's kind of how... I'm looking at it. Chris, before I wrap this thing up, want to give you the floor, uh, leave you with any final thoughts. Final thoughts are, I think we had a good podcast. I'm excited that we're back doing what we like to do. And I know a lot of the the fans are just itching to go. So 
uh, we're ready to get out there and cover the game, first game of the year and, and all the games and do the best we can. It's a difficult season. Appreciate everybody bearing with us and let's do it. Stick around and uh, we'll, we'll make sure you get the content you want. And Jacob has informed me that my original prediction was four and two. So I guess I'm sticking with He's my four and two. And he doesn't even know it. <laughs> yeah. So I, I guess I, I my gut was right uh, from the onset. So there you go. But that's going to wrap up this edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast for reporters Trevor Booth and Jacob Renner, as well as site publisher Chris Cartman. I'm your host, Mason Kering, saying so long. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time.